months after the first green crash. Good afternoon. This is Midday Magazine for Tuesday, the 11th day of October. I'm Julie Hersey with these stories. Wildlife officials in Metlakatla continue to trap record-setting numbers of the invasive crab species that threaten local subsistence food sources and fish habitat. As Reagan Miller reports, the tribe's Department of Fish and Wildlife has trapped hundreds of European green crabs, but the numbers keep growing. Months after the first green crab shell was found on the beach in Metlakatla, the community is still trying to figure out how to handle the arrival of a species that officials call one of the most invasive around. They're known to destroy fish habitat, eat other shellfish, and compete for vital resources. Dustin Winter directs the tribe's Department of Fish and Wildlife. He says his department is doing all it can to keep up as the numbers soar. And as of now, that means trapping as much as possible. I mean, right now we're just trying to do it um, internally as much as we can. Um, it's definitely increased the workload for the department, but right now there isn't any real long-term plans as far as uh, moving forward other than what we're doing. I mean, we're going to try to keep those traps in the water um, in Tamgus Harbor and in other locations as we monitor those areas too, but um, short-term goals is just keep the traps in the water in Tamgus. But so far, that hasn't seemed to put a dent in the population. Officials trapped a record 62 crabs on October 4th. That's a record for a single-day haul that broke the standing record of 38, set just the day before. And wildlife monitors found another 55 the day after, according to Metlakatla's mayor. Winter says Tamgus Harbor has turned into a hotspot for the crabs. Well, it's pretty concerning for us. I mean, we we were going from single digits to, you know, we had a, a record of 11 last week and then 13 at the end of the week. And then this week we've got, you know, a one-day catch of 38 and the next day of 62. So um, it's very concerning. Wildlife officials have been setting shrimp pots to catch the crabs. They're real fine mesh. I think they're only like a half-inch mesh. So, Because um, the juvenile crab that we are catching at the beginning were pretty small, so the shrimp pots are working really well. When they're caught, wildlife officials collect biological information and freeze them. Once the crabs are dead, they're tossed into the compost pile at Meldacatla's community garden. Communities across the Pacific Northwest and the country have struggled to fight the spread of invasive green crabs, most efforts have focused on trapping as many as possible. Washington Governor Jay Inslee declared an ongoing state of emergency in January because of the crab invasion across the state. Jay Scannell is a public information officer for Washington's Fish and Wildlife Department. He says the crabs have been around the state for more than 20 years, but they've recently spiked to concerning levels in the Puget Sound and Salish Sea. We, at this point, have removed more than 170,000 European green crabs from Washington waters this year alone. He says trapping is the only technique that Washington has used against the crabs. And our real our focus is, is really boots in the mud, getting traps out there, helping to identify uh, to coach the public on how to identify European green crabs so they can report them. But our focus is on population control through trapping. But he says he doesn't think wildlife authorities will be able to exterminate the species. We are very concerned about potential impacts on our native species, on aquaculture. And we do we want to do everything we can to control this invasive species. At least in Washington, we don't expect that we'll be able to eradicate them, that we know that they're here. Um, we're not going to be able to remove all of them from our waters. Further down the coast, wildlife officials are trying to make the crabs an attractive target for fishermen. In Oregon this summer, officials raised the recreational bag limit of the crabs to 35. That's to try and stop crabbers from throwing any green crabs they catch by accident back into the water to avoid fines. 
there are even a few recipes floating around Oregon's government website. And some have tried even more creative solutions. A distillery in New Hampshire is turning the creatures into crab-flavored whiskey. Officials are asking Alaskans in Metlakatla and elsewhere to keep an eye out for green crabs. European green crabs are the only species in Alaska that has three bumps between its eyes and five spines behind each eye. Winter says that anyone who thinks they've seen a green crab, dead or alive, should contact Metlakatla's Fish and Wildlife Department. Anyone who spots European green crabs outside of Metlakatla is encouraged to call the Invasive Species Hotline at 1-877-INVASIVE. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. In the wake of the typhoon Murbach, which devastated areas of western Alaska, communities across the state are organizing to provide support and supplies to those affected. As Sage Smiley reports, Wrangell's local tribal government held a one-day clothing drive that drew a large response. It's been way far past our expectations from the community. Alex Angerman stands behind a slew of folding tables stretched across the full length of the Wrangell Cooperative Association's Tribal Cultural Center. She's the CARES Act coordinator for the local tribe. The tables are piled high with winter clothes and blankets. Boots of all sizes and colors are lined up on the floor. We got hats, gloves, scarves, all donated brand new, including baby stuff. We also got baby stuff. Ingerman and the tribe's receptionist, Jana Wright, are blown away by the support from local individuals and businesses. How much would you estimate is here? <laughs> well, what would you think? Boxes and boxes. <laughs> probably, oh, I'm guessing probably at least 500 pounds of clothes easily. Angerman says the WCA planned the one-day drive as part of a broader regional effort by the Central Council of Clinket and Haida Tribes of Alaska to provide support to people and communities in western Alaska devastated by the fall storm. They're funding the shipping, uh, but it's going directly to western Alaska. So they're sending us the packing slips um, that they're going to prepay for, and we're going to box it up. It's going directly to Western Alaska. So we're uh, dividing it into, trying to divide it into men's, women's, boys, girls, uh, blankets, so that it's easy for them to get through and um, pick through. And they were saying that uh, that wasn't the case for a lot of the stuff they're getting right now. So we're going to try to categorize it so it's easier for them. Wright says it's emblematic of how Wrangell shows up to help. Wrangell is amazing when it comes in times of crises and helping that they did a wonderful job. Angerman adds there's just one more bit of help the tribe might need from the community. If anyone has boxes, <laughs> we need boxes right now, but um, I'm sure we'll eventually find enough, muster enough up from the community to box it all up. Angerman and Wright say they're aiming to have all the donations sorted and boxed up before Klinkit and Haida's main winter clothing drive wraps up in Juneau on October 11th. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Over 100 visitors boarded the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Kimball in Alaska over the weekend. The vessel calls Honolulu home, but recently it's seen a lot of action in the Aleutians. Just last month, while on a routine patrol, the ship encountered a group of Russian and Chinese warships traveling together through the Bering Sea. The Kimball's commander recalled the encounter during a recent port call to the island. Maggie Nelson has more. We were out patrolling and um, encountered them as they were moving moving east in the Bering Sea. Captain Thomas D'Arcy lays out a map in his office and points to the Western Aleutians. We tracked them from about Kiska Island and then down through the pass. So I'm, I'm assuming that they, they came up uh, 
into the Bowers Ridge area, you know, and, and moved in formation. He says the path the foreign ships took was similar to that of a group of Chinese vessels that the Coast Guard tracked and followed in the region just about a year ago. The 418-foot Kimball, which carries about 120 crew members, defensive weapons, and a helicopter, came within about a mile of the group and made radio contact with them. DRC says crew members on the warships responded, but never declared who was coordinating the formation. While the group didn't break any rules or give reason for direct contact, DRC says the Kimball accompanied the ships until they passed into the Pacific side of the Aleutian Islands, where they split up. He says they encountered the warships in the Bering Sea, but the formation never entered U.S. territorial waters. NATO officials have warned of a strategic Arctic partnership between Russia and China that challenges the organization's values and interests. DRC says Russia's persistence to militarize and develop a presence in the Arctic is concerning, but he says the Coast Guard would be present anyway. Part of their duty is to ensure that the U.S. sovereign interests are protected and to spend more time in the Arctic. The most important, you know, piece for the Coast Guard is to make sure that we're there and that we're observing what's happening. Uh, whether it's a, a foreign vessel that's coming up to do research or another another uh, naval vessel from a different country that's operating in that area, especially if it's anywhere near our, our interested waters that we're, we're present in. Just about two weeks after spotting the foreign warships, the Kimball crew welcomed more than 100 guests for tours while docked up at Unalaska's Spit. DRC says he was excited to host the community, especially after about two years of limited interaction with locals due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's great to have the crew interact with the local community. The Coast Guard's presence has been here since like 1880s. Uh, you know, we've, we've been part of Unalaska. We're not always the same uh, ship or the same crew, but I think um, being able to demystify what we're doing here was one of the goals that we had for this visit. Visitors boarded the ship throughout the day. About half of them were school-aged kids, DRC says. We had stations out um, where they could try on gear, uh, ask questions from our specialists, whether that was our, you know, our cooks or our maritime law enforcement specialists. We had our unmanned aerial surveillance uh, aircraft out. DRC says the event is meant to show on Alaskans that the Coast Guard cares about their well-being and safety. He says it's also a great chance for the crew to get to know the island community. When we said, hey, we want to do open open tours, and we, we had more volunteers than we needed. And uh, everyone was like, come on, can I wear my, my SDBs, my fancy uniform? And, and I would like to, like to show off all of our uniforms. And they're eager uh, to, to show what, what they do. And, uh, and it makes me proud of them. This is DRC's second trip to Unalaska, and it's the Kimball's second deployment to the state. Right now, the ship is about two months into its roughly three-month station in the area. DRC didn't comment on the strategic implications of the foreign warships the Kimball encountered last month, but he says the cutter is staged for just about anything and will continue monitoring the area for foreign military activity. Um, Kimball will be ready and, and respond, but if there is no foreign presence and no, no uh, threat there, uh, no, no adversarial strategic competitor operating in our waters, then we, you know, we shift to the next... Um, tasking and priority. For now, the Kimball will continue patrolling near Unalaska and the Bering Sea region and into the Arctic. As the fall weather builds and fishing seasons begin picking up, the RC says the crew is preparing for weather-related accidents and enforcement of fishing regulations. In Unalaska, I'm Maggie Nelson.
A new Arctic strategy released Friday by the White House acknowledges some big changes in the region over the past decade. The rise of military threats posed by Russia, the largest Arctic nation, according to the Alaska Beacon. The 15-page document said that strategy, quote, acknowledges increasing strategic competition in the Arctic since 2013, exacerbated by Russia's unprovoked war in Ukraine, and seeks to position the United States to both effectively compete and manage tensions, unquote. Security is identified as the first of four strategic pillars guiding White House policies on Arctic affairs. The others are climate change and environmental protection, sustainable economic development, and international cooperation and governance. In statements, Senator Lisa Murkowski and Senator Dan Sullivan said they welcomed the new emphasis on national defense. Senator Murkowski said the strategy contains, quote, many positive elements. However, she criticized it for what she characterized as too little discussion of resource development and an omission of oil and gas development. Senator Sullivan, in his statement, said he appreciated the, quote, full-throated support for increasing America's operational capabilities, infrastructure, Coast Guard, and naval vessels in the Arctic, and for elevating the voices and interests of the people who actually live in the Arctic, Alaskans who've inhabited these lands for millennia, unquote. However, he faulted the document for its emphasis on climate change, which he says shows the Biden administration, quote, will continue to focus on shutting down responsible resource development like oil, natural gas, and critical minerals in Alaska, unquote. The state of Alaska, which voted to to legalize recreational marijuana use in 2014, has no one in prison for simple marijuana use. According to officials with the Alaska Department of Corrections and the governor's office said on Thursday, the Alaska Beacon reported earlier in the day, President Joe Biden said he would pardon thousands of people in federal prison for simple marijuana charges, and he urged state governors to follow suit. A spokesperson for the office of the governor said by email, quote, in Alaska, we do not have anyone in jail for simple possession of marijuana. In February, the Alaska Department of Public Safety estimated about 8,500 people have records that include six-degree controlled substance misconduct convictions or similar municipal ordinances likely to involve marijuana. Earlier this year, the Alaska House of Representatives voted 80, no, 30 to 8 in favor of legislation to seal those records from public inspection. Speaking in favor of the bill, lawmakers said it was necessary in order to prevent Alaskans from losing housing or employment because of actions that are now legal. Governor Dunleavy, in his campaign Twitter account, said he supported lawmakers' work, but the fail the bill failed to pass the state Senate before the end of the legislative session.